0: Why do we celebrate Lent? Well, I don't know. I'm sure this is not true of you. But sometimes you feel a bit flabby, don't you? And you think, I ought to get fit. I ought to be able to walk more purposefully and um, be able to run up the stairs two at a time. You know, that wonderful feeling. Well, if you can do that, come and see me afterwards and tell me how. Lent is a time when we seek to get spiritually fit, when we get a bit more concentrated in our Christian commitment, when we can focus our love for God, and when we can follow our Lord Jesus Christ into the wilderness. Why did he go into the wilderness? He went into the wilderness, friends, to focus his mission, to find out exactly how he was going to fulfill God's mission, how he was going to rescue mankind. And three specific ways were given him. Supposing I could feed all the hungry people in the world. Supposing I could obliterate world hunger. Supposing I could make sure that poverty was once and for all something of the past, that every mouth was fed, that every life was fulfilled materially. Supposing I could do that. Wouldn't that be great? And you can, said the devil. You can. Because you've got the power to turn stones into bread. And you could do that and every mouth would be fed and every life would be fulfilled and poverty would be a memory. And Jesus said, no. Very tempting, isn't it? Very, very tempting. But no, because man does not live by bread alone. And you and I know that there is a side to human nature which only Spiritual food can satisfy. Okay. Well, if people won't listen to advice, maybe they ought to be made to behave. And so, supposing we had a dictator, a benign dictator, you understand, somebody who had the good of human, human beings at heart, Somebody who could sort the problems out, who could march into Syria and say, no, you stop fighting. You stop fighting. Let's sort this out properly. You do as I say. I know what's right. And the devil says to Jesus, fall down and worship me, and I will give you all that authority. I will give you all the nations of the earth. You will stand on the pinnacle of... ...of mankind, and you will be able to solve all the problems... ...by making people obey you, by force. That's very tempting too, isn't it? And dictator after dictator in human history has tried to go down that road. Some of them have even started from a good beginning. It's tragic when you listen to the history of some of the African leaders who, in their 80s, are hanging on to power with, for, for dear life. They began, like Robert Mugabe, for instance, began with good motives. His, his, his first years as leader in Zimbabwe were characterized by tremendous social success. He actually lifted the literacy rate, Mugabe did this, from something like 30% to 70% Look what's happened now. No, says Jesus, that's not the way. Okay, what about miracles? What about saying to everybody, "Look here, I'll show you that there's a God. I'll I'll prove it to you. Come down to Linfield Pond, nine o'clock next Saturday morning." And even though it's 17 degrees centigrade. I'll freeze the top of Linfield Pond. Now that'll show you, won't it? That'll show you that there's a God? No, of course it won't show you that there's a God. It'll show you that something very mysterious and peculiar is going on. Because you can't force people by miraculous events into believing in God. Go up to the very pinnacle of the temple. He was able to do this. Jump down and get up unscathed. And the people will believe you. Of course they will. Miracle after miracle after miracle. You'll convince them. No. They'll just say, oh, yes, there's that fellow who can jump off the top of the temple. You remember Yuri Geller? Yuri Geller could bend spoons. You had to be careful not to bring out your car keys in front of the television. Apparently he was able to sort of twist them and do peculiar things to them. Now, has that proved anything? Has that changed anyone's life? No. You just remember Uri Geller is the fellow written Ben Spoons. So why did Jesus go into the desert? He went into the desert to focus his ministry. Because he knew that the only way he was going to fulfill God's mission was by giving himself totally for the sin of the world. He knew that the only way in which mankind could be rescued was by the cross. Now, you and I have to focus our commitment (laughs) because, in a sense, in a very real sense, we have a mission, don't we? I've been talking about it. A mission in three weeks' time. But we've got to do something about our own personal lives. Now, why did I choose that peculiar reading from the book of Hosea? Was it because I just like to have sort of rather um, lurid readings from the Old Testament? Wake them up. Let's have a reading from the prophets that will make their toes curl. No. No. That wasn't my intention. The book of Hosea is one of the wonderful, most wonderful books in the Bible because it it reveals God's heart. It reveals God's heart. You see, what had happened was this, that his bride, Israel, Israel, who had looked upon him as their husband, had gone after other men, other husbands. They'd committed adultery. They'd worshipped other gods. They'd followed and served them. They'd lived in a lifestyle which was offensive to him. And so he says to Hosea, he says, go and marry a woman whom you know is going to commit adultery. Go and have children with her. And then declare her adultery. And say, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face, the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day on which she was born. I will make her a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. He was pleading with the people of Israel, Come back to me, come back to me. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the, your adultery. Come back to me because I am the one who loves you. I am the spurned husband. I am the one whose heart is breaking because you said you love me and you've shown you don't. And then he turns and he says, Therefore, I am going to allure her and lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of Acor, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. You know, if there's a sermon within a sermon that I could preach, it's on that verse, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful idea? I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Where are you this morning? Is there trouble in your life? Is there pain? Is there heartache? God can make that door of trouble, that valley of trouble, into a door of hope. One day I'll preach that sermon, but not today. There she will sing as in the day of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. Because you see, whenever the people of Israel departed from God's way, the cry of the prophets was always the same, to your tents, O Israel, back into the desert, back into the desert where you depended totally upon him where the only thing you had to eat was manna, and where water had to come from the rock. Back to the desert, where you can focus your attention, where you can strip yourself down, where you can really, really get serious with God. And that's what Lent is all about. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so good to build it into our Christian lives. And of course, there's the added bonus, (laughs) that at the end of the Lent... We have Easter. We have the wonderful, glorious victory of Christ to celebrate. I remember a, an Anglican friend of mine saying that uh, he was going to... I forget what he was going to give up for Lent. By the way, it's, it's a bit potty, isn't it, giving things up for Lent? Why don't you start doing things for Lent? Like reading an extra chapter of Scripture in your quiet time or perhaps um, deciding to... Speak to your next-door neighbour, even though they're very, very difficult. Anyway, this particular gentleman had had given something up for Lent. I forget what it was now. And he said to me, he said, but it's so wonderful. So wonderful when I have the first whatever it was on Easter night. (laughs) When he was from the Christian tradition that celebrates the, the midnight service, the the." Service of the Holy Fire, they call it. To celebrate that secret moment when Jesus burst out of the tomb. Well, we have the opportunity to celebrate Easter. That's one of the reasons why I always begin the Easter service with that glorious um, affirmation. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But I'm stealing my own thunder. I'm anticipating Easter. We're at the first Sunday of Lent. Now, and we must use these Lenten days to get serious with God, to pray harder, to read more of His Word, to to trust more of His promises, to live more closely with Him. You know, one of the things that really um, drives me crazy is the idea that. Christianity is a kind of crutch that people use when life gets difficult. Actually, I think a real Christian commitment makes life much more difficult. But the wonderful thing is that in every difficulty we will find the grace and the love And the forgiveness of God, wherever you are this morning, that can be true for you. One of the most encouraging men I have ever had the privilege of sharing fellowship with was uh, 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 an enormous um, house church leader in St. Mary Cray. Um, He had been a gambler's enforcer. Uh, That's a, a man who goes around breaking people's legs if they don't pay their gambling debts. But at the age of 21, he was wonderfully converted. He was a huge man, tall and big with it, you know. And he was always encouraging me. I remember I've shared this with you before. Forgive me if I repeat it. But I was looking rather depressed one day. And he came into the room where I was and he looked at me and he said, ''What's the matter with you, Charles?'' So I said, ''I'm feeling depressed, Dave.'' ''What's making you depressed, then?'' ''You've got nothing to feel depressed about.'' So I said, ''Well, I'm remembering how my my mother used to say, ''You're as lazy as you're long.'' And he looked at me and he said, ''Well, you're not very long, are you?'' (laughs) (laughs) He was a wonderful man. A trophy of grace. And he said this to me. He said to me, the most real things about God are his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. When I realized that I was a sinner, but that he still loved me, it was just amazing. And it's when we get serious with God, when we get close to him, when we make an effort really to get close to him and Make our relationship with him real. That we discover these things. It may mean going into the wilderness. It may mean fasting, perhaps, if not literally, then spiritually. But it will pay tremendous dividends. Because we will be in the presence of our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. As he shares his Lenten temptation. Amen.